0: Welcome to Own the Microphone. Join me, Bridget McGowan, an award-winning international professional speaker and owner of the independent publishing company, BMAC Talks Press. Hi there, everybody. It's Bridget McGowan, and welcome to today's episode of Own the Microphone. I have with me Janine Letford. Janine,
1: welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me
0: now you and I share a common passion we both used to teach what have you taken from the classroom into your presentation rooms.
1: Well, I have my background in education. I did K through five for 15 years. And then I started a nonprofit with the the kids who graduated from my elementary years for six to 12. And then I also taught at the university level. And so in one week, I would see a four-year-old all the way to a 64-year-old in the same week. So it opened up just a whole, just, you know, exposure to this pipeline. And so the strategies that I take, number one is they're all learners, no matter how old they are they learn. And so when I'm presenting and I'm on the stage, it's just transferring information and the brain loves story. If you can tell a great story that you're enthusiastic about it, they are going to be even more enthusiastic about it. So that is a tip. You you have to be a good storyteller when you're talking to five-year-olds. The same is true for 35-year-olds.
0: I had never thought about that, but you are spot on about having to be a great storyteller when you're working with children that age. I'm trying to remember this technique where, yes, here it is. Everybody out there, if you are wanting to work on your inflections and your intonations with your voice, this is all going to make sense in a second, everybody. Y'all, you, you've listened to me long enough to know I go off on tangents, everybody. So this is <laughs> this this is hey, just another day in the land of Bridget. But if you want to work on being more animated and being more interesting when you speak, whether it is on Zoom, conducting meetings, whether it is in a presentation room or an auditorium with how many dozens of folks, if you're wanting to have more vocal variety, if you're wanting to sound more interesting, because you can't always tell a story, but you don't need to sound interesting, even if you're talking about data. I want you to do this. Find some children's books. See, I told you it was all going to come around. Find some children's books and read those books aloud. I'm talking about maybe preschool through maybe second, third grade-ish. I think they're still kind of fun around that age. At least the books are, the kids are too. So maybe up to about age eight or so. Find some preschool up to age eight books. Read those books aloud. And if you have some nieces or anything like that, your nephews or cousins or what have you that are in that age group, even better, read to them. But I want you to read with such interest and such character animation because that's necessary when you read those books to that age range. Or if you don't have an audience, just read them aloud to yourself, and that can help with that vocal variety and helping you be a little bit more interesting when you talk, if you're trying to find some kind of exercise for that. So you, you took me back to that little strategy. Thank you, Janine.
1: <laughs> yes, if, if I can jump in. So um, in, in the classroom, we call it prosody, right? Reading with, with prosody. And another thing you can do if you love music, I taught music for 10 years, you can like uh, talk sing. If I, if you do something like Beauty and the Beast, there goes the baker with his tray, like always. You know, sometimes I work on my singing because speech is just tonations and sounds. So if you love to sing, really just use that as, as a way to practice your prosody and your intonations and inflections and your pauses. What if you don't love to sing or you can not sing, but you always wish you could, you still do that? Still do it in the shower, <laughs> in the car, turn it up.
0: <laughs> because... I cannot sing. I do not have a rhythmic bone in my B. I I have a girl who gives so much grief about not being able to dance. I could go on and uh, she gives me such a hard time. That's how you know who your best friends are, the ones that give you a hard time. Now, your best friends. What are some of your best friends in the speaking world, if you will, in terms of your go-tos? These are the, the tools that you must have have or these are the things that you must do in preparation for presentation what is some presentation best friends
1: (laughs) I really own the content so if I own it if I'm passionate about it that's a huge thing for me so speaking about intercultural creativity which is now my main topic and my main work I know this content in and out. You know, if you ask me to speak about astrophysics, I'm like, okay, well, I can go read a book. But if I get on the stage, you'll see my nervousness and you'll see that I don't own the content. So when you're passionate and you own it, it's like it. people love to hear me talk about it because they say, Janine, you breathe this. You believe this, you know? And so number one, I own the content. Number two is, I don't know if I shared this in the, the backstory, but I have a speech impediment. I went through years of speech therapy in elementary school, had a huge identity issue. So dealing with a speech impediment and doing public speaking, even if you don't have a speech impediment, a lot of people still have issues with public speaking. So imagine if you struggle even saying your name, which I have. What helped me walk onto that TEDx stage to go from the speech therapy room to the TEDx stage was realizing that I had souls in the audience that needed to hear what I had to say. Once I shifted the focus off of me and onto them, psychologically, if you look at the, actually physiologically, if you look at the the reactions the body has to, to events like that, you can name it either excitedness or just nervousness. And so I switched the name. I didn't say, oh, I'm nervous to go out there and speak. I said, I'm so excited to go out there and speak and inspire this audience. Once I renamed it and reframed it, it helped me to execute well. So I started to focus on the audience more and what they were going to get. And then the last thing is have fun. I come from a faith background. So once I'm out there, it just flows through, through me. And I just really just have fun being in the moment. And another skill that I got from the classroom that I take to the presentation stages, I'm adaptable. If like something happens in the middle of my presentation, I work it into the presentation. You got to be adaptable. You can't have something happen and then you fall apart and then the whole thing is over. You have to learn how to go with the flow. And if you own, going back to my first point, if you own the material, if you know it inside and out, it's easy to be adaptable if things may go awry, which, you know, presenting as much as we do, it happens every now and then. It's life. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Definitely during the year of 2020, when all of us were having to go virtual, Janine, when you say something happens or there will be a glitch, I'm telling you, during that year when I found myself on this platform one week, that platform another week, one day it was go to webinar, another day it was, it was Zoom, another day it was some homegrown platform that was not Uh, Used outside of that particular organization, and you're having to have these run throughs beforehand, like a little technical check. I'll ask, Can I get 20, 30 minutes on somebody's calendar on your team so I can make sure I know how to share slides? I know how to show my video. Yes, something will happen, everybody, both online and in person. And like Janine says, you go with the flow. It reminds me of my wedding day, Janine. I had roses at my wedding. I had red roses at my wedding. That's what I wanted. I mean, they, they signify love, right? So red roses. And I remember strolling into that sanctuary and I see the arrangements at the front, at the, at the altar. And I am so hot. I am so, I'm steamed because those arrangements are not the ones I wanted. They are not the right ones. So what do, what do I do? Do I just, you know, stop the, stop the music, cut the ceremony, uh, you know, get me out of this gown. Let me put on my street (laughs) clothes and go to the floors and give her a piece of my mind. Or do I, keep on moving and acting like those are the most gorgeous arrangements I've ever seen in my life and let's just mm-hmm. do this wedding and get married and let's become <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Aaron Hawkins and that is what I did the latter because who's going what are they going to remember they're going to remember me acting a fool right so in your presentation when there's something that just doesn't look quite right that is a hiccup, that is a trip up. You, like Janine said, find a way to maybe work it into the presentation, laugh it off, or don't even bring it up, especially if it's something that the audience isn't even aware of, right? The audience isn't even privy to something that is a hiccup. You just keep moving right along because like you said, Janine says, you want to make this audience centric. You want this to be the best experience that the audience can have. And at that wedding, they would not have remembered any vows, cake, or anything. They, they would have remembered Bridget acting a fool over some flowers that looked perfectly yeah. fine yeah. to everybody else. I was the only yes. one that was upset.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my
0: goodness. <laughs> but you also said that one of your go to, one of your best friends in speaking, if you will, is owning that content, specifically intercultural creativity little bit more about that what is that and what is a misunderstanding people have about it
1: sure so intercultural creativity is my gift to the world right people have their gift to the world and when I pass on I want to be known for that what it means is that number one the world economic forum says that creativity is now the number one skill needed in the workforce Okay, so the gone are the days of automating and because of technology before the pandemic, because of technology, we were it was already moving up the ranks because of AI automation machine learning can do the mundane jobs. We need people to think creatively. The second issue is people think creativity is only the arts. So people think they're not creative if they can't sing, dance, draw. Or you know, bust a move like Justin Tim, Timberlake and be a Janet Jackson. So they, so they're walking around saying, "I'm not creative." And you know, the brain, the brain internalizes what you repeat. And so there's that issue. So I'm redefining creativity to say that creative thinking is the process of problem finding and problem solving with relevant value and novelty. You know, your ability to think of new ideas, to use your imagination and to take us in, into the future um, and to create the solutions that we need. Now, intercultural creativity means that, and I don't, I don't mean cultural by just ethnic culture or national culture. I mean, groups of people with just different values, beliefs. You know, you can have a soccer mom culture. It's just the way that that things are run, right? So your ability to be fully creative is your ability to be able to interact and create and connect with people from different cultural backgrounds this can be any demographics and you know within the past two years or years definitely within the past the history of this nation but there's been a lot of talk about diversity equity and inclusion and what people may not understand is you can't have fully creative employees in a culture that's you know toxic there's microaggressions going on there's there's no psychological safe safety and don't expect people to to be vulnerable and give their creative best if they're not in a culture that does not support creative thinking and support and value the person. And so intercultural creativity looks at the, these two areas and how they sit upon the same set of cognitive skills. You have to have an open mind. You know, I call them the seven gems of intercultural creativity because who doesn't like a good gem, right? Um, so um, just having an open mind, being observant, being curious, being empathetic, being able to shift perspectives, being adaptable, like we spoke about before. And the last one is being a bridge, being able to connect people from different lives experiences. And that's my gift to the world, intercultural creativity.
0: Mm, In addition to that gift of Intercultural creativity. You have some other gifts. So <laughs> let me just go through this. So you're the founder and chief creative officer of Cafe Strategies, spelled with two Fs, Cafe Strategies LLC, which trains C-suite executives and employees to create sustainable Organizational inclusion strategies while unleashing their innovative thinking for themselves and in their businesses. And your seven gems of intercultural creativity is a leading framework that encourages corporations with their diversity and inclusion development. Now, Janine believes that creative thinking thrives best in an inclusive environment, and she's often called America's creative coach. For her work in reigniting intercultural creativity within our, within our workforce and as the 2019 la lakers businesswoman and the 2015 uh, california charter teacher of the year let me tell you janine's virtual keynotes are exciting informative and transformational all of her sessions virtual and in person are exciting informative and transformational now, which do you like better, virtual or in
1: person, and why? I will admit the virtual aspect was just, like for a lot of us, brand new for last year. But, you know, they they each have their, their golden point. You know, being an elementary school teacher for the beginning part of my career, I love the hands-on. I love to be able to make that connection and to move around the world, room and to, to go up and down in, in the space. But there's something else about being able to connect with people around the world you know you're in a different state than me now and had i not been shoved into the virtual world uh, with along with the rest of us last year i would not have known you and seen your beautiful smile so they both have their pros and cons but as far as presenting i'm gonna have to say in person but for impact i'm gonna have to say virtual
0: Okay, wow. Wow, wow, wow. That's interesting for the impact piece, you would say virtual, but it's because you're able to reach more people. Global impact, global uh, impact. uh, (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I'm telling you, I have had this happen to me more than once where because of technology, I was able to present multiple sessions in one day where prior to the pandemic putting us in a position to get a little bit more creative about how we do work and how we offer events, I would not have been able to do that. I I remember one time I had a presen- two presentations on a day where ordinarily those events would have been in, I think, North Carolina and Texas. And I had another situation where the presentations would have been in Texas and Georgia but because of technology I'm able to reach more people because prior to the pandemic I would have had to say no to one or the other or see if we could reschedule so yes I agree with you when it comes to that wider reach that global impact when it comes to impact there's a level of confidence that has to be on the table it has to show up on the microphone. However, I understand in some homework that you completed, being the A student that you are and the fantastic educator that you are, in the homework you completed, I learned that you have not always been a confident speaker. How did you get from there to here?
1: <laughs> it was a journey and still is a journey. You know, it never really ends until until, until my life is done. I'm always growing. But as I mentioned before, being labeled a special education student, having a speech impediment, not being able to say my name fluently, that does a number on your identity. At the same time, having a twin sister who won speech, you know, speech competitions, debate team, you know, and so there's that juxtaposition as well. And so it was quite the journey. And she's always been supportive of me. And, you know, my mother knew to get me services, and and she really fought hard for that but it was the realization that I actually had something valuable to say. And it was also the realization, I I don't say that I invented intercultural creativity. I did trademark it though, but I say my mother invented the concept because she knew to to create a culture in the home, the single parent home, we were on free and reduced lunch. So it's not like we had a lot of resources, but she still knew to create a culture that supported that exploration. It supported our ability to go out there and fail. If you're not willing to go out there and do your best and understanding that failure is a part of the process, you'll be very stunted in your creative growth and in your ability to to really have that impact that you're looking for. And so because I was raised in a culture where we were supposed to, she put us in situations where we were slightly uncomfortable. If you're not willing to put yourself in in slightly uncomfortable situations, then it's very difficult to grow. So because I had that in my formative years, right? Zero through 12, very critical years for your identity development. Because I had that in my formative years, it really helped me with the identity struggle that my stuttering caused. And me thinking my ideas weren't valuable because I couldn't communicate them effectively. And so once I really got a hold that my ideas were good, that's when I joined a Toastmasters, which I'm pretty sure you're familiar with that organization. Uh, my coach, John Murray, he worked with with me when he found out I got my TEDx talk. And you know, who applies for a TEDx talk and you stutter? Like, really? Who who does that? And so, but I remember just saying, "I have this idea." And once that email came back, you've been you've been accepted. I'm like, oh man, I actually have to do this now. You know, I actually have to say something <laughs> profound but it was just step-by-step and, and don't think you have to have the whole stairway, you know, already seen. I think Martin Luther King said that, you know, just, you just got to see the first next three steps and just keep moving. And it was, yeah, doing small stuff like that, joining a Toastmasters, getting a mentor, going for little speaking events. And the thing is I did teach. So that is kind of small speaking events right there. I'm in front of little children, Uh, but is it a different experience in front of, you know, big adults, (laughs) but taking it step by step and failing along the way and then not beating myself up saying, Oh, I messed up or Oh, I totally forgot for out the middle part, but next time I'm going to be even more prepared. So that doesn't have to happen.
0: You're going to have a chance to ask me a question in a second, but Mm -hmm. here is what I have for you next, which is easier presenting in front of kids, little children or
1: big adults. (laughs) Once I got out of the bias that I have to be serious in front of adults, I believe that once again, like speaking virtually or in person, they both have their their pros and cons. I would say, yeah, I got to just transfer my goofiness to adults. And we teach on creativity and intercultural creativity. And I can tell by your personality as well. You look like you're a fun speaker that I would just be totally just... You know, um, entertaining the whole time, and so it's that same same concept. Just just because they're adults doesn't mean you have to be stuffy Bueller Bueller for two hours, um, but you you have more of a leeway to do that with kids. It's more you know expected <laughs> that you just are a little bit more animated. But uh, but yeah, I would say speaking in front of adults now is getting easier. <laughs>
0: Right. And, you know, the thing is with speaking in front of adults, because you are also one, I think you better, you, you're you better positioned to appreciate what, or understand, recognize, and give them what they want. You know, as an adult, you know, is exactly what you need. You need from a presentation, something that's going to help you be more successful, uh, more efficient with your time, a better parent or whatever. So being an adult, you can give them what they want because you have an idea in your mind of what you'd want to get if you were on the other side of the microphone. And I heard you saying how you could be a little bit more humorous with yourself or, or have a little bit more fun in your presentations. I really encourage people to not take themselves so seriously. And I was not always of that frame of mind I would that was not always the way I thought I felt like the presentation has to have a purpose and let's get in here and let's get this done in one two three bim bam boom you know <laughs> and I was just very and I still am to a certain extent very scripted to a, yeah, scripted to an extent but you do have to inject some moments of humor and uh, have a little bit of levity in there. Now I know sometimes incorporating humor into presentations can be a challenge for others. So I'm about to provide Bridget's legendary teachable moment. I'm going to give everybody a few of my recommendations for adding levity to a presentation, letting your hair down and having a little bit of fun. So, I have four P's of incorporating humor into presentations actually personality, purposeful, practice, and point. So, with personality, you're not a comedian, okay? <laughs> Let's just start there. For those people who are wanting to add jokes or wanting to find ways to add fun to a presentation and they're thinking about adding a joke, no, you're not a comedian. And it just may not be part of your personality to be funny. Or if you do have a funny personality, then we're back at square one in that, You're not a comedian. (laughs) Comedians, at least the ones that are worth their salt, will tell you they put a lot of practice and a lot of work into that art, into that, that craft. They likely have writers and editors and people that they try out content on and so on and so forth. So it requires a lot of work, writing, rewriting, and so on. So if you tell a joke and it flops, move on, but don't try to fix it. Don't try to clean it up. That just makes it worse. So that's personality. Think about if that just may not even be you Mm -hmm. purposeful. If you decide to add some humor or some fun into a presentation, make sure that it fits because nine times out of 10, your presentation does not have the intended purpose of entertaining. And the audience isn't necessarily expecting that. They came for real information. But if you want to add humor, Uh, Do it in a purposeful way with relevant um, information, maybe some news items, maybe relevant anecdotes, court rulings, industry magazine articles, riff off of those, anything from your industry, just kind of crack a joke about something that would make sense for everybody gathered or crack a joke about something that came up in the news about the topic on which you're presenting. P, practice. If you do decide to add a joke, practice the joke and make sure it doesn't fall flat. (laughs) Practice it with a friend, with a family member. And then the final P is point. Ask yourself why you want to add a joke in the first place. Are you using it as a diversion? Do you want to distract the audience from yourself or the substance of your presentation? If so, then hold on. We've got another issue. (laughs) What's the point of doing that? So if you're looking to just get smiles in the audience and you want to ensure your likability, then give your audience what it came to get. And then find those lighter sides of yourself, the things about you that make your friends and family smile and share those with the audience. But remember, personality, purposeful, practice and point. You can read more about that in my book, Real Talk. All right. Turning the microphone around. It's your turn. What's a question you have for me, Janine?
1: Well, as the music teacher that I am, you know, we are the diamonds and my logo is the diamonds for my company. So when I walk out onto the stage, one song that I have is shine bright like a diamond. What, Miss Bridget, is your coming out on the stage, powerful, here you are song? That is a good, good
0: question. Almost any song that has a fabulous beat any song that makes you feel ten feet tall. I mean, we could go with Alicia Keys' "Girl on Fire." We could even go with Pharrell's "Happy" because I just believe in waking up with a smile on your face and spending the next twenty-four hours bringing smiles to everybody else's faces. Uh, we could, we could even go with "Here Comes the Sun." I can't remember. The artist, but it's it's an old song, right? But oh, I wish so I could fun. sing. You sing it for me, and oh, that's all I know. Then here comes the song That's all I know too. <laughs> da 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 da. Here comes the song, right? So almost any song that just has these positive lyrics that just has this uplifting vibe any one of those I even had someone ask me that at a conference and I thought oh my goodness I I don't know just pick something what's your favorite song as as long as it's it's upbeat and is is has rays of sunshine about it I'm about it
1: (laughs) awesome awesome thank you for sharing
0: (laughs) yes 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 and I could I could do the shine like a diamond is that Rihanna Yes. Yes. Okay. I'm totally showing my cluelessness when it comes to music. Did I tell you, I have the girlfriend who gets on me about not being able to dance. Uh, Yeah, it's a true thing. Music and all that is not my world. I need to get it together. What else do we need to know in order to make sure the next time we have a presentation, we are shining bright like diamonds?
1: Well, the brain, I do a lot of my my research is based in neuroscience, so I always look to see what's going to wake up the brain in my audience and you know the brain loves novelty. And so when you either connect to ideas in an interesting way or if you ask a question that they've never heard of, you know, just really making whatever the experience that you're going, going to make just something new, even if this is a small part of your presentation that they've never seen before that will just wake wake them up and i just also love just getting their bodies moving so any type of just you know interact action with because the body is an instrument of thought and so if you can get their bodies thinking as well that opens up the brain and just really attaches the experience And it really encodes the experience deeper. And that's really what you want as speakers. We don't want them just to hear us and be like, okay, and then they forgot what we said the next day. We want that experience to be encoded into the brain so they can retrieve it more easily when they're going through their lived experiences. So really just make it new, make it fun and get them moving and they won't forget you.
0: Yes. Yes. I I think about when I used to do faculty development. Mm -hmm and professional development at colleges and universities with educators. And we talked about VARK, V-A-R-K, and how all of the students in the classroom are going to fall in one or more of those categories of either being V, visual, A, auditory, R, read-write, or K, and or K, kinesthetic. And that You don't have to do it every single class session, but over the course of the week or over the course of the month, you need to make sure that you have a somewhat equal balance of activities and engagement where those students who like to take in content visually and put out content visually have opportunities to thrive that you are presenting content visual, whether it's putting it on the board, whether it's showing a PowerPoint deck or having them read something in the book. And that's also for the read-write people too, but I digress. And then for auditory, that box is easily checked. You as the teacher are talking to them. They're getting that auditory input, but then also give the students an opportunity to talk with each other. With read-write, give them an opportunity to read something and write something. And then kinesthetic, like you said, get them moving. Have them stand and clap to the beat of something. Have them uh, move, have them... Uh, There's this one activity called changing charts where we would have them talking about a question on a chart with their colleagues in a group of four or five, writing their answers on the chart to that question, and then moving to the next chart when they heard a chime or they heard music turn on for a second or two. And so I challenge everybody listening that when you make presentations, that you try to create those kinds of opportunities. Maybe you cannot do all four in the course of one presentation, but try to do a couple of them. They're already listening to you. So again, the A box is checked off. And if you've got a slide deck, the V box is checked off. But do more than just talk at them, but give them an opportunity to engage some kind of way. So that's V-A-R-K. And I think that was created by Neil Fleming Fleming spelled with one M, go check it out. But it's, it's uh, all about those preferences and how people like to take in as well as put out information, all of those techniques. I'm thinking about, we're coming full circle, how all of those techniques from teaching those faculty members on how to create engaging classroom sessions, all of that comes back to creating engaging presentations. uh, in, in, with what I do today. So that's very, that's true. wild how very it's true. full circle. <laughs> yes. Well, Janine, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me. You are just a ray of sunshine. And I just really hope that your audience got some great gems to implement in their practice.
0: I love it. I love it. Everybody check out Janine Ledford. She's a total rock star. Cafe.
1: uh, Oh, remind us us of the name of your company again. It's Cafe Strategy, C-A-F-F-E. Strategy stands for Creative Advancement for Financial Empowerment Strategies. Love it. Check her out. You will not be
0: disappointed. She and her team do amazing work. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of Own the Microphone. I'll catch you next time.
1: Bye-bye.